Okay, we are in James chapter 4. And let's pick it up at verse 4 just so that we get the context, although we'll be really starting to talk about it in verse 7. James chapter 4, verse 4. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us. But He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Okay, so the portion recall here, as we covered a couple of weeks ago, was this double-mindedness of being friends with the world and trying to be friends with God at the same time. And we talked last time about how God gives a greater grace and He can oppose us or greet us in with grace. And a lot of this is is the decisions based on the decisions that we would make. But he says in verse 7, this is an aorist imperative. Submit, therefore, to God. If we say we believe the Bible and we observe it, the Bible says, submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. When we are in submission to God, there is the opportunity to resist the devil and have him flee from us. And I will describe it this way. Often men will come and they'll share with me and they'll say, you know, my my wife doesn't listen to anything that I say and my kids don't listen to me. And I say, oh, I know why. And they're like, how do you know? Say, it's very easy because you yourself, I tell them, you yourself are not submitted to anyone. You have no submission to the local body of Christ. They say, what are you talking about? The Bible says that Christ is the head of man, man is the head of woman, and God is the head of Christ. If you, as the man of the family, would come under the leadership of the body of Christ and learn what it is to have leadership authority over you so that there's authority that can speak into your life, then things will start to come in order. But as you have stepped out from this umbrella of authority, then you have taken your whole family with you. And that's not to say that if you're in the church, your children will never rebel or you'll never have an argument in your marriage. Not at all. But when there is a pattern where there is constant friction, we have to look at the fact, are we under the leadership of God? And what is the, the, the model of that? The model of that so often is the body of Christ. The scriptures talk about how we, we, cannot, we cannot honor God if we cannot under, honor man. Not submit to God if we can't submit to the body of Christ. There's a submission process. So in this submission to God, it's manifest by how I submit to the body of Christ. Let me give you an example. I, I have asked the pastor of this church what... What do you want me to do in Sunday school class? He says, do whatever you're doing. So he's given me free release. And periodically, I'll get with him and I'll say, 
is there anything in particular you'd like me to do? He says, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. So he gives me that freedom in the body of Christ. I've been given that. And so that's... And, but if he should say to me, I would rather you didn't speak out of the book of James. I'd rather you spoke out of such and such a book. I would do it. Because I'm submitted to the body of Christ. These things are not about me. Let me give you another example. When this church started the sister campus uh, cross point, which is two blocks from my home, I wanted very much to be there and be a part of that because there's always excitement in starting a new church. This is about five years ago. There's always some excitement there. And I wanted to be part of that excitement, and I knew it was going to be a bit more of a contemporary style, contemporary worship and outreach to that community. And so they, took a, a, they said how many people in the church would be willing to go and to leave this campus and go to that campus and start that new church. I put my name in. I put my name in multiple times because I really wanted to do that. Plus it was near the, our home and there was going to be outreach to the local community. It all fit well with what we like to do. And even though you might not realize it, um, I let my hair down sometimes in worship. And I knew it was going to be more of a contemporary worship. And my name was not selected to go. Everybody else who put their name in went. And I was like, "Um, did you ever see my name? Yeah, but we didn't want to move the college class over there because that would have taken too many people from the Westview campus to that campus. Even though my heart was very much to go, there was no complaint. You know, there may have been some murmuring to my wife or something, but then no complaint to leadership. I understood what they were talking about. Because it's not about me. And people say, well, I don't get anything out of church. I say, well, you get out of it what you, you give into it. If you, for example, how many of you have money in the stock market? Okay. Now, I don't mean just money that your parents may have invested on your behalf and you've never seen it. Where you actually took money that you made yourself and you invested it. How many of you? Okay. How many of you that have invested your money periodically look at where it is and what it's doing? Okay. Now, there you go. When you have money invested in the stock market, you look. Even if you have $1,000 in a particular... You're going to go and look. How's it doing? You know, what's going on with this? But if you have no money in the stock market, just, you could be oblivious to this stuff. And you, the only care you have about it is, oh, well, I hear the stock market is doing bad. That may affect the economy, so when I get out, it may be hard to find a job. But other than that, as a student, you don't really care. I mean, it, it's, just, it's just down in the noise. They say that this is the worst economy it's been in the last 25 years. So I'm thinking, I don't remember it being this bad. Where was I 25 years ago? Well, I was in graduate school with no money in the stock market, and I didn't care. You know, it never occurred to me. I never looked at it, so I didn't even know it was bad at the time. I'm sure people were hemorrhaging, but it never bothered me. You know, I had my little stipend, and and we somehow got by. You get out of something what you invest into it. So, the Scripture says, submit therefore to God. Submit to God in the context of what was above it, where he said you can't be friends with the world and friends with God. If you're friends with the world, you're an enemy of God. So he says, submit to God and what God has. Then he says, now you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. If we are walking in submission to God, then there's an overcoming of the enemy. 
And there may be spiritual attacks that come in our life, but you can call the pastor, they come and they pray, and we've done that sort of thing. And, and uh, uh, we've had the pastor in our home, you know, throughout our marriage at different times, come and pray with us, you know, we're struggling with something. There's the body of Christ, learning how to deal with the body of Christ. This is a real thing. And students sometimes forget this. This is a real thing that you can participate in now, but you, you feel a part of the body of Christ to the extent that you give to the body of Christ. You give your money, you give your time, and trust me, the, the church is not saying, oh, we, we hope we can get $5 from each of those college students. That's really going to help us out with the building program or something. It's not about what you give in the sense of the dollar amount that the church is looking for. I like to see students giving because I know what it will do in your life. I know that it will make you more giving in many things if you learn to give of your money. You say, well, I don't make anything. Well, what do you make? Do you get $100 a month stipend from your parents to live on? Well, do you know what a tenth of $100 is? If you can't figure that out, I'll help you. And you give that. I need to live on that. Well, trust me, you'll live on 90% of what you're given, you'll be able to live. You learn to give. It's something that you learn to do at this age, at this time. Something that you learn to do. So he says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is a promise. If you resist the devil, he will flee from you, if you're in submission to God. You see all this trouble going on in your marriage, in your home, if you submit to God... Submission to God, part of that is learning how to submit to the body of Christ. It's not about me. You know, people say to you, why do you, why do you keep going to that church? I'm like, it's not about me. It's about where God wants me. Do you see what I mean? It's different. It's different. There's a submission to the body of Christ. Where would God have us plug in and serve? And then at that point, it's not about me. There's many big churches in town where... I might have a bigger Sunday school class, but it's not about me. It's about where God would have me serve. Verse 8, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Again, a promise with a command. Draw near to God. There is another command. Do you believe the Scriptures? Do you believe the prophets? Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. If you feel distant from God, it's not His fault. Believe me, it's not His fault if you feel distant from God. He who has given His own Son to establish this relationship with you will not keep the distance. If you will draw near to Him, He will be there. He will be there. You know, there there are times that... that, uh, um, So so I try to make this practice of, of... near daily when I'm on campus to go down to the chapel sometime during the midday and pray. Sometimes between 11.30 and 2 or somewhere in there. Just go in there and pray for a while. And sometimes if I don't go, I think Jesus was probably waiting there for me. You know, here He was waiting for me. I didn't show up. He's always there. Whenever I go, He's there. We draw near to God, He will draw near to us. Now He says in verse 8, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's like, whoa, what are you talking about? This is again in the context of you can't be a friend of the world 
and a friend of God simultaneously. He says that. He said that in verse 4. He says, you adulteresses, you, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy with God. And this is the double-mindedness he's talking about in verse 8. You can't live on both sides. And you say, well, I just have all these friends. I like to go out with them. I like to party with them. I don't do anything really bad. The Bible knows, God knows, what's going to draw us astray. <clears throat> so it says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. deals with two issues. deals with cleansing the outside, changing what's on the outside, and purify your hearts. Dealing with what's in the heart. Either one of those two alone is insufficient. <clears throat> so, in other words, I may say, okay, in my heart, I want to do what is right, but I continue to date this unbeliever. In my heart, I know it's wrong, so my heart knows what's right to do. And I apologize to God for this, and I said, I'm sorry, but I continue to date this unbeliever. That's wrong. That's the double-mindedness. And now, he, what if, what if um, I stop dating the unbeliever, but all I do is I think about that relationship and the times that I had. And I just bask my mind in this. It's much like taking sexual thoughts and just continuing to entertain those thoughts without saying, God, deliver me from this. God, help me with this. And on my website, I have this, this scriptural sexual ethics uh, uh, series. How many of you have listened to that? Okay. So, if, so I would suggest you all do. You can go to my website and get on it. But on that, I go specifically how you can deal with patterns of lust that go through your mind. How do you deal with that? You can be very specific in dealing with that. Now, some people have deep struggles with this. Other people don't. But the number of people who do, especially young men, is really quite significant. And you need to learn to deal with this. But God cares about both. <clears throat> turn to, keep your finger there, but turn to Psalm 19. <clears throat> Psalm 19. And right at the end of that psalm, which is a beautiful psalm, talking about the beauties of nature and the beauties of, of the Word of God, he says in verse 14, Psalm 19, verse 14, But let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. The words of my mouth, what comes out, and the meditation of my heart. Let both be acceptable in your sight. Either one alone is insufficient. Either one by itself is insufficient. God wants that which comes out, that's what we say, what we do, what we type, to come under Him. And then also, the meditation of my heart. What I think about, what I value. God cares about that. Because Jesus said, where a man's treasure is, there will his heart be also. So in other words, if I am struggling with pornography, God wants control of that because He knows what that will do to me. And that will destroy marriages. It really will. You say, well, I'm not married. If you participate in the looking at pornography and looking at that on your computer, 
I am telling you today, your marriage will be destroyed. How many people here would like to get married and get divorced? Okay, nobody. How many people here, when they get married, would like that marriage to last for their entire lives? Okay, everybody. So you know up here what is right. If you are stuck in pornography, it will destroy your marriage. This is a dangerous thing, even for the unmarried, because it sets a pattern for you. God wants your heart. And brothers, I assure you, I have been there. And I've been very frank about that in this series of scriptural sexual ethics on my website. And I will talk about how deliverance can come. And what deliverance looks like. And what it means to walk as a man. And the thing about where society is today, it's not men are no longer alone in struggling with pornography and these images in their mind. Women struggle with this intense lust, some women, just as much as some young men do. And you need to learn to bring this under submission to Christ because it will destroy your marriage. And the thought is, with the unmarried young man, but once I get married, I'll have a wife and I'll have everything I want and everything will be fine and I won't need the pornography anymore. That is what is called a lie. Right? That is a lie. You are lying to yourself and the devil is lying to you. As you participate in pornography, all these images will come back as you objectify now your wife. And she will never meet the sufficiency for you then because you will always be drawn, drawn back to the pornography and then you will start using the pornography as the display upon her and then that will then be insufficient and you'll be drawn into relationships with others. You say, how do you know? I know it because I've dealt with so many men, so many struggles. I have dealt with this over and over again. One young woman said to me, how come you're always talking about sex? And I said, because I know young people. Because I know young people and I do it unashamedly. And I know the struggles of young people and I'll continue to do it. I talk a lot about God too, in case you haven't noticed. But I know where the struggles are. And I want to see you freed from that. And I want to see you have healthy and right marriages and healthy and right relationships. I can go into churches and speak to general populations in churches which are not bracketed by the ages of 18 and 23. And when I speak, I will often get calls in my office or emails in my office from hurting women who say, you nailed it right there with my husband. He is into pornography and he was fidgeting the whole time that you were speaking in the church. And we're struggling with that in in the marriage. And he assures me that it's not doing anything to him, but I know it is. And I see these women just suffering, absolutely suffering. And these are good guys in the church who come every week But there's this mystery going on in their lives. There's this mysterious side. And that's why he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You have to do both. You have to deal with the outside, deal with the pornography issue itself. One way to deal with that in the computer is you go to these web accountability sites, these Christian sites. Anybody remember the name of those, one of those? 
Triple X Church. I didn't never heard of that one. Triple X Church. Okay. Is that dot org? Dot, dot com. Okay. Triple X Church is another one with with a with, with a, a a name with with less implications. Pardon. Covenant Eyes. Yeah, I think that's another one. Covenant Eyes, and there's another one. And I'm sure you could Google it and find out. And what it does, you, you set a parameter so that any website you go to, that URL is sent to your accountability partner. That's a good thing. And so your accountability partner can set this thing up, and every time you go to a website, that website is sent to your accountability partner. That is a very good thing. So if you struggle, there are ways to begin to deal with this. And I've gone so far as to say, and I'll say it now, you've got a laptop, you have trouble with this in your room, you make a commitment, you never have a computer in your room alone. You say, well, I've got to work. You go to the library. You go to Starbucks. And you flip open your laptop and you work there. You work at one of those desks in the library where everybody can see. Like one of the ones right by the window where everybody walks by. You do this. It, this is what it says, cleanse your hands. What does it mean, cleanse your hands? It means you do something physically on the outside to deal with the problem. And then it says, and you purify your heart, you double-minded. Purify the heart. God cares about the heart. <clears throat> there are things that we do. And it says in verse 9, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Why is he saying this? He wants me to be miserable and mourn and weep? Yes! What if somebody were to come and do something that really hurt you? And they just come up and they go, sorry! And they walk away. I'd be like, what kind of sorry was that? Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, that sorry is not really sufficient. For what you did to me, just to walk up and say, sorry, and walk away, is insufficient. There is a humbling of oneself that says, I know that I hurt you. What I did to you was so wrong, and I realize that now. I am so sorry. Would you please forgive me? Do you see the difference? There is a time to be miserable and to mourn and to weep, to have our laughter turn to mourning and our joy to gloom, because of what we are doing in our lives and how we have to change it. I have dealt with men that have been caught in tremendous sin. And they apologized for it. They said they were sorry. But there was, there was not, it never went beyond that. You know, and, and they said, oh, everything on the outside looked fine. He said he was sorry. He said sorry. But for what he had done to another, there should have been just weeping. There is a place for this. And we need to come to our sin and to sometimes weep over this thing. And to say, Lord, forgive me, a sinner, for what I am doing. And deliver me and help me. The Bible doesn't say, if you feel like it, be miserable and mourn. It says, be miserable and mourn and weep. These are three commandments right there in this verse. Be miserable and mourn and weep. This is a command. You want to listen to God? You want to obey Him or not? There is a place for this when dealing with certain sins. Now, that doesn't mean we stay there. 
And I'll give you an example of this. I moved into a discipleship house when I was 20 years old. And this was living with nine other Christian guys in, in this run-down house that was owned by the church. And, and, you know, if it wasn't owned by the church, they'd have been sued for, for you know, this tenement-like place that was filled with mice. I mean, it was amazing. It was filled with mice. I, I would, you know, after dinner, we would throw stuff in the trash. And then I would set a mouse trap. I'd put a little peanut butter on it and stick it in the corner behind the trash can. And I'd walk back and I'd stand with the guys and said, watch, let's count how long before we catch a mouse. And before I could finish this sentence, pop! You know, we'd go there and this, this mouse shaking in this trap. You know, because there was this hole behind the trash can that went down into the basement and the mice would come up. And I could just trap them like this. It was, it was terrible. The, the, the heater went out every night and, it, it, and there were ten of us living in that house. There were two bathrooms, but in one of them the commode worked and the other one it didn't. In, one, in the, the other one the shower worked, but it didn't in the other. So you, you had to hit at least two of the bathrooms just, just to get on out of there in the morning. So I, you, I would just go work out in the gym in the morning and, and uh, clean up there. But in this house, I remember that, that uh, I had just moved in and I was a rather new believer and I was kind of cocky. And one day, one guy turned to me and he, and he says... Uh, you know, he commented on my cockiness and my pride and stuff. And I was so taken back by that that for days I was just hurt by this and I knew he was right. And so a week later we're talking, I said, you know, I, I'm, you were right. You know, I was really... And then the next week I'm still dealing with this and finally he turned to me and said, okay, get over this now. Move on. And he was absolutely right. I had mourned enough. I had wept enough. I had beat myself enough. And it was time to move on. Do you see what I mean? There is a time for mourning and for weeping. But then it says in verse 10, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. So in other words, you come, you humble yourself, and you weep and you mourn before Him. And then let Him bring you up. Don't stay there. Don't stay there. You have to begin to deal with things and move on in your life. This is part of Christian life. We can't stay there. The other thing that is tremendous is if you turn to to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is the apostolic teaching in the epistles on the Lord's Supper. And I, as you know, I love the Lord's Supper. I love to take the Lord's Supper every week. Because scripturally it says they met together on the first day of the week for this breaking of bread. And then recently I was just reading a book by Charles Spurgeon and he loved to take the Lord's Supper every week. So I feel vindicated now. And, and, uh, but there's this instruction here. And it's interesting what it says. <clears throat> it says in the Lord's Supper, in, in verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he eats and drinks, for, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if, you, if we judge ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So in the Lord's Supper, there is a time of self-searching, 
where it says, let a man examine himself. We are about to take, in the Lord's Supper, we are about to take the body and the blood of the Lord. We're about to take this. And it says, before you do this, you want to make sure you're right. This is a good thing. This is a chance for us for introspection. And it's a good thing. It's good to do this more than four times a year. God allows us to start each week with seeing what what is the junk that's there so that I don't have to carry this through the week. He says, "Don't don't drink it in an unworthy manner, but examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink of the cup. So one way to deal with this, and I've seen people do it, is they just avoid it. I'm not going to take it because I don't want to be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But it doesn't say that. Now you're guilty of disobedience in another way. Not only are you not partaking, and therefore guilty, for not obeying that commandment, but it says you are to deal with yourself, examine yourself, and so partake. So there's a second disobedience in not partaking. Because you're not obeying this of examine yourself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We are to partake. This is a chance to look at ourselves. And so just by not dealing with it, because, you know, we say, oh, it's too painful to go there. There's a lot there and a lot I have to do. It's too painful. But think of this analogy. Maybe rather crude, but it's not that crude. Think of getting your teeth cleaned. You know, I have known people to go five years without getting their teeth cleaned. And when they go, it's a multiple day process. You know, they go for an hour and, and, and the poor hygienist says, I can only get the tops done. I've got to come back for the bottom. And they've got to go under the gums and there's all this tartar and all this junk build up. And, and, and plus, you've never flossed for five years. And so the, the gums are, are tender and they're all bleeding and everything. And you could say, well, this thing is too painful, so I'm just never going to have my teeth cleaned. I'm never going to deal with it. But if you regularly brush and floss and get your teeth cleaned, it's not a big deal. There's minimal discomfort in getting your teeth cleaned if you do it twice a year. And if you floss regularly, there's minimal discomfort in getting your teeth cleaned because your gums are, are firm. It's the same way. If you deal with this on a regular basis, you stay a lot healthier. The Bible says, if we don't examine ourselves and we do partake, it's for this reason that many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. You know what that means? It means weak and sick and dead. The Bible talks of sleep for the believer. It doesn't talk of death, dead for the believer. It talks of sleep. Remember Jesus said of Lazarus, he's only sleeping. And they said, oh, if he's only sleeping, he'll wake up. He says, he's dead. You know? and, and, but sleep was of the believer, knowing that we shall rise again. But because they were believers, and partaking of the body and the blood in an unworthy manner, they're dead. They're asleep. They have died in Christ. Or they're weak and they're sick. And there's a lot of people in the body of Christ that are weak and sick spiritually that there is no substantive difference between their lives and the lives of the people in the world. And I think a large part of this is the Lord's Supper. They do not partake of the Lord's Supper and deal with all these issues, and it just comes uh, uh, climbing in on them. uh, David said, my bones ached within me 
when I kept my sin within me. You keep sin in you and your bones will start to ache and you'll be like 23 years old and you'll feel like you have arthritis. Things will happen to you if you keep sin in there. And we have to deal with this. This is why James says, deal with it. Mourn, weep. This is a good thing. We deal with these things. And then he says, and now you humble yourself and God will bring you up. God will exalt you. And in James, he says, he says, if we judge ourselves rightly, we will not be judged. Did you know we can escape judgment by taking the Lord's Supper and saying, oh yeah, something is there. There's the outward and the inward. I deal with my heart. But in that I offended my brother as well. I make a commitment as I'm taking of the Lord's Supper to go and make this right with my brother or my sister. To apologize to them. Now that doesn't mean that I have to apologize a gazillion times till they finally say, okay, I forgive you. You apologize. You say, I hurt you. I was wrong. I am sorry. And don't say, but you were 50% responsible, so you owe me an apology too. That is between them and God. You deal with your apology to them. And you will feel so much freer. So much freer. He says, but when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned with the world. So when the believer is judged, they're not condemned with the world. They're disciplined by the Lord. But we can avoid the discipline if we relieve ourselves from judgment because we dealt with this by asking God to forgive us. Now, you don't have to wait till Sunday in the Lord's Supper to ask God to forgive you. But it is a good time because we have a tendency to forget to in that time do it. James says to us, he says, you know, in dealing particularly with friendships of the world, he says there is a time, but after that, he says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. In other words, if you deal with this, your life in this way, He will bring you up and you will mature as a believer. And if you feel that you're stagnant as a believer, you start doing this. You start repenting on a regular basis and allowing, saying, God, search my heart. And if something's there, you deal with it. If nothing's there, the Holy Spirit is really good at reminding us what we need to deal with. So you don't have to go fishing for very long. And you'll catch something if there's something there. And deal with it. And you will mature as a believer and He will bring you up. He will exalt you. He will bring you up. He'll bring you up in your spiritual life. He'll also bring you up in your physical life, in your careers. Because people love to work with people that are upbeat and happy. They enjoy that. And when people are depressed around me, I'm like, oh, they're here again. I'm busy right now. I just don't want to be around them because they're always coming to me and complaining about something. But if they're upbeat and, and I want to be around them, it's going to affect your whole demeanor, your whole appearance in your face, and it will bring you up in your career as well if you learn to deal with it in this way. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the mercies of God. Thank you, Lord, for these young people. And I pray, Lord, that you would be working in their lives to draw them closer to Jesus, to learn what it is to deal with their hearts, to seek you, to humble themselves before you. 
Father, that they'd have victory over the devil through submitting themselves to God and resisting the devil then. Father, I pray for these young people, for the young men here who are trapped in pornography. Father, I pray for deliverance for them, lest they destroy their future marriages through this. And also for the young women that are caught in the lust of their minds. Father, I pray for the deliverance there, that they would take the steps necessary to cleanse their hands and to purify their hearts so that they could have good and healthy marriages. And Father, I pray that You would cause us to come before You and to ask You to examine our hearts so that we may repent before You and be right before You. And as we humble ourselves before You, that You would exalt us at the proper time. Lord, I pray for these young people that You would cause them to learn to do this, that they may be exalted in their lives by You in their Christian walks and their careers. And I give them to you, Lord. Father, they are so precious. I give them to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.